0: Thank you, Rick and Nancy. Be turning to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4, and we'll begin in verse 1. It is a follow-up from last week's uh, sermon as we looked at the life of Joshua and some key events, some key decisions. We want to follow up on that in Joshua chapter 4. And while you're turning, let me welcome all of you to the service. I want to say thank you for those who are taking the effort to be in church Uh, I know that the restrictions because of this virus are tedious everywhere you go. And I know that that's the same here uh, at church. Uh, I also know this, however, that uh, though the virus is serious to many people who catch it, and it is going through our land, which is inevitable, I still go back to that, that passage of Scripture, that in the midst of even the worst of the worst, God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we'll get through this, and this eventually will pass over. I don't know when, I don't know exactly how long, but I know this will pass through our country and our community. Uh, And, of course, until then, let us be resolved to be the church and to do the work God has had for us to do. I think all of us will know that of all times, our world needs to know about the love and kindness of Jesus Christ more now than ever before. So let's be that light in a darkening world that seems to be getting darker. But as the world gets darker, the light of Jesus Christ will appear brighter and impossible to miss. So let's be that light. Joshua. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, would you stand as the scriptures read, please. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, every, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan.'" "'from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. "'You shall carry them over with you "'and leave them in a lodging place where you lodge tonight.' "'Then Joshua called the twelve men "'whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, "'one man from every tribe. "'And Joshua said to them, "'Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God "'into the midst of the Jordan, "'and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder "'according to the number of the tribes "'of the children of Israel.' that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you will answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones will be memorial to the children of Israel forever. The children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest who bore the ark of the covenant stood. And they are there to this day. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people. According to all that Moses had commanded Joshua and the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. The men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priest who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua, therefore, commanded the priest, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord had come up from the midst of the Jordan, that the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place that overflowed all its banks as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And these... Twelve stones, which they took up from the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. And he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? You shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. That all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you you promised to bless your word, and we claim that promise today. So, Father, accomplish what you intend this morning through your word. And anywhere that this is heard, Father, we need to hear from you as never before. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This entire chapter focuses on the fact that God knows we are prone to forget what's really important. So, he instructed Joshua to build a monument of stones, not just any stones. He said, where the priests are standing in Jordan and there's dry ground under their feet, get those stones. Now if you read chapter 3, you'll realize God had instructed the priests to step out on faith and carry the Ark of the Covenant and step into the Jordan. And as soon as they stepped into the river that was at flood stage, the waters parted and the priests stood on firm dry ground right in the middle of the ground that was always underwater and covered and not seen, he said, get those stones. Get those stones and then where you camp tonight, over in the land I've promised you, I want you to make a memorial of these stones. And he did that because it would be a powerful reminder for future generations. Because we are prone to forget the promises of God we are prone to forget the mighty hand of God and get distracted and he said the next generations I don't want to forget what you've just seen set these stones up and two different times he said and your children are going to ask what do these stones mean to you daddy what's this all about and then you answer oh those aren't just any rocks those are rocks that came from the bottom of that river and let me tell you how They came from the bottom of the river. God parted the waters and our entire nation crossed over on dry ground. And these rocks came from the very bottom of that river. And that's the reason they're piled here. We couldn't have gotten them any other way. They're not just any rocks. They came from the bottom of this river where we walked. Then they would remember that God's hand was mighty, God's promises are sure, and God does what he says he's going to do. Three things we're reminded of in this entire chapter of these stones that were piled up. First of all, a reminder of the faithfulness of God to keep his word. Now, God was not just asking them to cross the Jordan just for a publicity stunt. This river was important because it was the boundary between the wilderness where they had wandered and the promised land that God had told them that their country would inhabit. This promise goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. It's 400 and something years earlier. God appears to Abraham and says, I will bring you into a country that you've never been before. And I will bring you into that country. I will bring your family into that country. And from you, a nation will be born that will inhabit this entire country. Abraham followed the Lord and lived there. Two generations later, however, famine came into the country. And Abraham's grandson, Jacob, was forced To carry his family over to Egypt. And you know the story about Joseph being sold into slavery. How God arranged all this. Now may it look like God made a mistake. How how could this happen? That we were supposed to inhabit the country. And now we're out of the country. And we're in Egypt. Looks like God's forgotten his promise. That didn't last long. But we have to understand. That God had his plan all along. You see they fled to Egypt for safety because there was a famine and in Egypt they had plenty. In Egypt they were allowed to grow and to prosper and this little ragtag family became a big group of folks in the shelter and in the plenty of Egypt. Oh but then another king came along that didn't know the Hebrew people That Pharaoh had, of course, showed them favor because of Joseph. And he said, we have all these people here. They're not like us. They are not us. They'll eventually take over. So they enslaved them. 400 years they stayed in Egypt. It looked like God had made a mistake. God dropped the ball. But if you back up, of course, to Genesis chapter 15 or 16, God predicted that would happen. He said they'll go to another place. They'll stay there for 400 years, but I've got a plan. The plan was this. First of all, they would go to Egypt for safety in the famine. Then of course they were enslaved. What happened there? Well, Egypt was a nice place. Egypt was a plentiful place. They get too comfortable in Egypt, they'll want to stay there. This Pharaoh came and enslaved the children of Israel for generations. By the time Moses came to lead them out, they wanted to leave. They wanted to leave. God knew they were prone to want to stay where they were. And in fact, some of them still did, even though they served with bitter bondage. What else happened? In the book of Genesis, and in the book of Exodus, we realize, after the ten plagues, the people of Egypt were so eager to get rid of the children of Israel, they said, here, you go to wherever you need to go, and we're about to pay your way. It says they gave them jewels and gold and silver, piled it all up. Now, every country needs a treasury. Every nation needs a treasury. They came out of Egypt with a treasury. They came out with gold and silver and And all kinds of wealth. God had not forgotten. However, we realize with the eyes of man, 400 years, a long time. But all those 400 years, they may have forgotten that God made the promise. Or decided the promise still didn't hold true. But God never forgot his promise. And God had a plan. Well, we realize in Numbers 14, then you have another delay. They're about at this place, about ready to cross over. And God said, you need to send a scouting party over. And this is where we looked last week. Send a scouting party over and see the best routes. You need to kind of see where things are. So we're not just traveling blind here. They sent the scouting party over and they came back and they said, it's exactly like God said it was. It's beautiful. It's great. In fact, here's a cluster of grapes. We had to put it on a pole. Two men are carrying it. It's not nothing we've ever seen, but we can't do it. We can't do it. God said go over there, and God said it's ours, but we don't believe God because we're not going over. And the majority of the people said we won't go. And so another delay due to the frailty of God's people, due to the frailty of the folks. For 40 years. And it may have looked like to the nation. That the nation would never get over there. But God remembered. God remembered his promise. And these stones are. What God had promised 440 years ago. Despite detours and delays. God keeps his promises. And God never forgot it. Secondly. There's a reminder here of the picture of genuine dedication. Now, we got a glimpse of this last week. If you look at Joshua and Numbers chapter 14, Joshua and Caleb, two young men who went over with the other 10 spies, came back and they had a whole different story. The other 10 said, we'll never do it. It'll never happen. You can't. The people are too strong. There's giants there. There's fortified cities. God will never accomplish what he said he would accomplish. That's exactly what they're saying. But Joshua believed God's promises. He said it's like God said it, and God said we could have it, and I believe we need to go over it. Joshua recognized God's instructions. As we mentioned, God didn't invite them to go to the promised land. God instructed them to go to the promised land. And Joshua, he felt that God meant what he said he would do, and God meant what he said for us to do. And if God instructs us to go over, then we need to go over. He believed that God's instructions are worth following. And then thirdly, he realized what is right is right, regardless of public opinion. Public opinion said, can't do it. Public opinion said, God won't let this happen. Public opinion said, we just need to stay right here. We need to do this, even though God said to do something different. What's right is right, regardless of public opinion. Joshua believed that. That is, of course, a glimpse of true dedication. But now the test, and that is time. See, Joshua took a stand. Joshua made a declaration. And you might say, man, that that was difficult. All those people telling him one thing and he took a stand. That was the easy part. Let me tell you, it's easy to make a declaration. It's easy to make a promise to God. It's easy to make a statement of how much you believe God. It's easy to make a commitment to God. That's the easy part. The difficult true test is time. Joshua took a stand. Joshua made a commitment. And Joshua stayed at it for 40 years. 40 years. You see, we are all too prone at church camp, or a youth conference, or a revival, or a special Sunday, to get on fire and make promises to God? Sometimes at New Year's we do that, don't we? How long do they last? How long do we last? That's the true test. He lasted for 40 years. Now, there was a time in my life that 40 years, I couldn't fathom 40 years. I couldn't imagine how long 40 years is. But I've got a definite time frame of 40 years now. Let me tell you, tomorrow or Tuesday, 40 years ago, Mr. Alman Waller, your granddaddy, l- drove up in my driveway over in the Red Crossing community in a U Haul truck, moved us into that little white parsonage, and next Sunday, 40 years ago, On July 20th, Sharon and I was our first Sunday here as your pastor. Forty years. Now we've got it in perspective, don't we? Forty years. Now, a lot has changed in 40 years. You might say, yeah, a lot's changed in the facilities and so forth, but a lot has changed in us. Do you realize that the first girls we took to church camp, two of them, are grandmothers now? <laughs> Marla and Denise. You're my first girls, two of my first girls that we took. I think it was all three of them Marla, Karen, and Denise. I, I think that was it. And I, took, I had three guys. We went to church camp the next year. And two, two of them are, are grandmothers. Rick, I'm, I'm with you now. I mean, you know, these are my, these are my youth group. <clears throat> A lot has changed. But let me tell you, in some ways, it doesn't seem like 40 years does it? But in some ways you look and we've been through ups and downs, personal challenges, personal valleys losses but opportunities and successes. For 40 years Joshua stayed with it and he endured. Number one he endured disappointment. You ever really planned on the way things should turn out and didn't turn out that way? You're talking about a man that was disappointed. Imagine Joshua. He didn't just hear the promises of God for the promised land. He walked over it. He walked over it. He saw it. We're that close, he said. All we have to do is go over it. By this time next week, we could be in there. And got turned around. Can you imagine the disappointment when all of a sudden he's outvoted? And they're not going. And then God says, for 40 years, this generation will stay in the wilderness and they won't go over. But Joshua and Caleb will, but it'll be 40 years later. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the disappointment? We're disappointed a lot in the way things turn out. Sometimes those disappointments make us bitter. Sometimes they make us mad, and sometimes we quit because life has disappointed us. He endured the mistakes of others. Now, why were they delayed? They were, he, they were delayed because the others just wouldn't obey God. Can you imagine that? It's one thing when, when things are disappointed just because that's the way it worked out. But when you can point at a group of folks and say, that's why we're not going over, But he endured, and you know what he did? He stayed with that same group of people and served as Moses' assistant to lead them. He endured even though other people let him down. You ever been let down by other folks? Sure we have. Sometimes folks let us down. Sometimes folks disappoint us. Sometimes folks hurt us. And sometimes we quit because of that. Joshua endured even with the disappointments of others. You could point at that pile of rocks and say we had a man to endure all that time. And he endured hardship. He endured big challenges. He and Moses and Caleb, they had some big challenges. Sometimes we rise to the big challenges. You know what derails us? The everyday tedious work of serving God we get bored we get bored with what it takes to serve God day after day and you know what happens a lot of times we quit now it's never a deliberate decision it's never a declaration well I just don't believe God and I just won't serve him anymore no it's never that We quit little pieces at a time and drift away, and then all of a sudden we're way out of the service of God, way out, because we just got bored. You see, the true test of his dedication and the true test of our dedication will be time. We can say a lot of things, and we can talk a good talk, and we can get so on fire, and we don't know why everybody's not on fire with us, but what happens four months later? What happens A year later, what happens three years later? What happens 40 years later? Here was a man who stood the true test. Now, the Apostle Paul knew it was going to be this way. And he told Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, Endure afflictions and do the work of an evangelist. The afflictions came first. Why? Because he knew afflictions would come to us all. You need to endure. What does that mean? We need to stay with it over time. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, let us not be weary while doing good. Let us not be weary while doing good. We shall reap if we do not lose heart. In due season, in due season, we'll reap. How's this done? How do we stand the test of time? Two key passages one from the Old Testament. One from the New Testament, in Isaiah chapter forty, very familiar passage of Scripture. We read that last week. I want to read over it and emphasize something. We take a lot of comfort from this passage of Scripture. We'll back up to verse twenty-eight, Isaiah chapter forty, verse twenty-eight. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up as wings with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How do we keep on keeping on? How do we run and not be weary? How do we walk and not faint? How do we eventually soar with wings like eagles? It says those that wait on the Lord. Now, the word wait here means confident expectation, watch this, over time. You ever had to wait on somebody that didn't show up on time when you thought they ought to be there? Now, the confidence that they'll eventually show up will determine how long you wait. If you determine they're not coming, you're not waiting. But if you know they're coming, you'll stay there. Now, God's schedule is not our schedule. And there are times we get tired of waiting on God. No wonder we get weary. He says, you wait on God. The word wait means you trust God, you believe God, and you're going to wait on God because God's coming through. That's what that means. And then it says, if we'll wait on God, we'll mount up with wings as eagles. That doesn't sound like quitting. We'll run and not be weary and we'll walk and not faint. Because there's a forward progression here and sometimes it's slower than others. Now, sometimes I can't fly. Sometimes we've just got too many challenges. Sometimes we can't run. Sometimes all we can do is walk. But he says we'll at least be heading in the right direction and wait on God. Second passage of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured... Such hostilities from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Let me look at that last phrase lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Is that phrase familiar? For most of us, it is. Let's be honest. You ever become weary and discouraged? How do we keep that from happening? He says this, looking unto Jesus. And then he said, you consider him who endured. Looking unto Jesus. Now, circumstances will frustrate us. People will disappoint us. But I'm going to tell you what frustrates us and disappoints us more than circumstances and people. We do. We're going to blow it. We're going to mess up. We're going to drop the ball. And if we're looking at ourselves for our strength, if we're looking to others for our strength, if we're looking for circumstances for our encouragement, we're going to blow it. We're going to get weary. But he says, You look at Jesus Christ, looking unto Jesus. Now, Jesus said it this way: Book of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 41. You know how it is. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he woke the disciples up and said, You better watch and pray. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And we have to look to Jesus because our flesh is weak. Despite our best intentions, beside, despite our declarations that we made a long time ago at church camp or at a revival or at a youth conference somewhere, our flesh is weak and we are prone to quit. But Jesus said, you pray, your flesh is weak. So what do we do when we pray? We look to Jesus, don't we? It's exactly what we do. We consider Jesus. That's where we gain our strength. So we have a reminder of the genuine dedication of Joshua. Before that, we had a reminder of the faithfulness of God to keep his word. But then here's the third thing. In this passage of scripture, you look close, you see a reminder of God's ultimate plan. Now, what was God's plan here? Well, God's plan was to get them across the river safely. Well, there was a bigger plan than that. What was God's plan here? Well, God's plan was to give them the promised land so they would inhabit that land as a nation. That was the ultimate plan. No, it wasn't. There's a bigger plan here. You might say, well, what could be bigger than that? Well, look at the last verse that we read in the book of Joshua, verse 24. That all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord that it is mighty. You see the ultimate plan, God's bigger plan of all this was to reach the world of the message of his mighty hand. That was his plan. And when he inhabited that land, populated that land with his people and they grew to a nation, he had a bigger plan. And that was the plan from the very start. When he told Abraham, 440 something years beforehand that I'm going to bring you into a land. He said this in Genesis chapter 12 verse 3 that all the families of the earth may be blessed. Not just the families where you live, the whole world would be blessed. Now he reiterates that promise and he says the entire people of the earth will know that the Lord's hand is mighty. How mighty? How mighty is God? How strong is God? How unthinkably powerful is God? Well, Jesus said it this way. John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. You can't find a greater love than that. God one-ups it. God loves us when we weren't His friends. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a good man, one would die. Or for a righteous man, one would even dare to die. But listen to this. God showed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the mighty hand of God. That's the unthinkable power of God that God loved us while we were enemies. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this. It's the greatest love you'd ever see, that a man lay down his life for his friend, and then he lays down his life for his enemies. That's the mighty hand of God. And God says, you put those stones there. And there's some things they'll remind you of, but don't you forget, those stones are to remind your children that eventually all of the world will see that God's hand is is mighty. And how many times in the scriptures does it mention the Old Testament? His hand is mighty to save. And he saves us through his mighty hand. That's the ultimate goal. That is the mission of the church. And that is the ultimate desire of God for you if you don't know this. We prepare for an invitational hymn God loved us while we were sinners. That we is all inclusive, all of us. But God's love is greater. God's love is greater than, than all of humanity's downfall. God loves us. And God sent his son to die for us so that you can face eternity with confidence. That's the mighty hand of God. Now, let's see where this message hits us. Have we forgotten the promises of God? Are we worrying we're living in fear. We're living in anxiety. Have we dropped the ball somewhere in the past? We made some commitments. We, we made some good talk and we meant them. But we've gone off track. Maybe we need to talk to God about that. Maybe, just maybe, you've never accepted Christ. God's hand is mighty to save you. Whatever need you have, let's make it right as we stand in sin.